Suppose the Zionists in Palestine come to the same conclusion as the apartheid regime in South Africa. The apartheid regime in South Africa came to the conclusion that it was not possible to continue the way they did. They decided that all people who live in South Africa are equal citizens, whether they are black or white, one man, one vote, and let's live in peace and let's coexist. If the Zionists come to this conclusion, which means the dismantlement of the Zionist ideology, we have no problem. That will be the beginning of a peaceful settlement mm. of the problem. But we cannot make peace with people who claim that God gave them the divine right to take my mother's house and my father's land and to establish themselves there while I'm not allowed to go back. Hello, would you like to upgrade your tea and coffee providing? Go to East London, Quaker Street, Coffee and Bubble Tea. They will provide better tea and coffee providing than your current tea and coffee provider is providing. What about downgrading? If you mention the podcast name, they will downgrade your providing to 10% off. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Welcome to today's podcast, uh, Islam Training C, unscripted podcast uh, with your host uh, Salman Bhatt. And today my co host is Ahmed uh, Hamouda, the, uh, the famous Ahmed Hamouda, uh, Middle East editor for Islam Training C. Ali Hamouda's younger brother. Also known as Ali Hamouda's younger brother, or as we uh, like to refer to Sheikh Ali as Ahmed Hamouda's uh, slightly elder brother and less, uh, less famous uh, brother. Yeah. Uh, let us know in the comments how uh, Ahmed is doing uh, throughout the show. Uh, it's his. Uh, I thought we've disabled comments, no? No, not anymore. It's his first. <laughs> by the magic of show business, it's his first uh, show, the one we recorded yesterday, but we'll be publishing later on. That didn't happen yet. So uh, let us know how he's doing uh, as a as a. Good as thing a host. you told me that because I was going to make yeah. reference to that one. <laughs> you can do. Just refer it to in, in in the future tense. In retrospect. Yeah. Uh, we're very, very lucky and uh, fortunate to be joined by uh, Dr. Azam Tamimi, mashallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi It's very hard to introduce you, so you're going to have to help me along the way, inshallah. So, Dr. Azam Tamimi is um, founder of Al Hiwar in the UK. Al Hiwar TV channel. Al Hiwar TV channel in the UK. You're also an author of many books about Hamas. Not many, a few. Yeah, a few books about <laughs> Hamas. Uh, you have been writing and, and commenting on uh, politics and current affairs in the UK uh, for many years and in the Middle East. Uh, can you help me out here? What else, Ahmed? The head of the Center of Islamic Political oh, yes. Thought. Well, th that was a project that uh, uh, came to an end when I started the TV channel. Okay. It used to be called the Institute of Islamic Political Thought. And um, the ambition at the time was to integrate it into one of the universities. Mm. And um, unfortunately, we couldn't get the funding uh, mm -hmm. necessary for that. Uh, but eventually, we had um, an opportunity to start a TV channel. So much of what I was hoping to achieve through the Institute, apart from academic qualifications for uh, master degree students, mm -hmm we can do through the channel because the channel is a discussion channel mm. it's not a news channel yeah. uh, yeah. hence the name al hiwar which means dialogue conversation yes okay mashallah i watch al hiwar uh, dr azam jazakallah khairan for joining us firstly 
كرامك الله. He's a biggest fan. I, I do watch the war, but I've been told something strange. I've been told that the top dons of the war watch the Jazeera. The what? The top uh, echelons of the war yes. watch the Jazeera. Well, usually people who watch Al Jazeera uh, have Al Hiwar in their list, either second to Al Jazeera or probably before Al Jazeera, depending mm-hmm. on uh, on their intellectual uh, <laughs> affiliation. Uh, generally, people with an Islamic background favor Al Hiwar over every other channel mm-hmm. within the current affairs uh, section. Uh, but of course, there is the entertainment section, there's the education mm-hmm. section. Mm-hmm. We we are in the current affairs section. Mm-hmm. We complement Al Jazeera in a sense because Al Jazeera is a news channel. Yeah. We don't do news reporting. We do news analysis in depth. We do mm-hmm. intellectual discussions. Uh, we try to uh, imp- uh, improve the awareness of the audience in terms of what's going on and why and the background mm-hmm. to that because usually news channels don't have time yeah. to go in depth uh, into the background of what's mm-hmm. going on. And they have to be very um, kind of almost Hollywood-esque kind of breaking news and flashing yes. images and short kind of scenes and to, to retain people's uh, attention, I suppose. True. Yeah. And they don't have time for uh, mm-hmm. lengthy in-depth discussions. Yeah. That's why... If you if you're interviewed, for instance, by Channel Four here or by the BBC, mm. you'll be lucky if you get a couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, usually, it's very short. Channel Four is slightly better. They their model is um, even for their news uh, kind of uh, uh, hour. They 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 tend to choose fewer stories and talk about them in more detail. That's what um, uh, one of the the editors uh, told me, Simon Israel. Um, That Very is nice true, day. of course, because yeah. they have one whole hour yeah. a day. News night also is a different style. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I'm talking here about issues that are of interest to Muslim audiences. Mm. Mm. Usually topics of interest to Muslim audiences do not acquire the attention they deserve mm. in these various media outlets yeah. unless they have a direct impact on their own audiences. So if they invite you, for instance, to comment on Algeria <coughs> or on Egypt, now Egypt is hot, for instance, mm. it's usually very brief. Um, those who interview you are not usually enlightened or educated about mm. the event. So it, the product is not usually They just bad. want to get a segment. Yes. That's, yeah, that's just for the sake of a segment. Mm. Ahmed, you had a, uh, had a, uh, Ahmed has a small uh, uh, test for you. <laughs> This was intended to be the icebreaker, Doctor, yeah. but uh, it's okay. We'll start now if you don't mind. <laughs> it's more a couple of questions, to be honest, to uh, to identify uh, whether, since you were born in Hebron, mashallah, al-Khalil, you moved at a young age to uh, Kuwait, uh, from my understanding. Much many of the Palestinians did the same, including uh, yes. ourselves. We'll get onto that, inshallah. I'd like to make that maybe our starting yeah. point. But just to answer the questions of the skeptics, whether you are truly a Palestinian or not. We want to ask you some stereotypical uh, racial identification questions. <laughs> Very simple, inshallah. Yeah, no pressure. <coughs> no. Y- yani, simply, do you prefer tea with milk or tea with sage? Maramiya. Maramiya is good for winter. Um, na'na mint is for summer. What about tea with milk? This is an English thing. I love it. 
I love all types of uh, of tea. And now, very diplomatic answer. Uh, at sure. times, at times, uh, I drink uh, tea with milk, ginger, and um, sometimes some and other spices. And cardamom. This is the Nigerian one. Yes. Alhamdulillah, so you've tried to... Uh, I'm open. I'm, when it comes yeah. to tea, I'm open. You've You're created a, a hybrid between the Palestinian <laughs> culture. You know, one of the amazing things about the Palestinians is that uh, uh, they were the only colonies that weren't affected by the British influence. Really? How? We affected them. Okay. You know, they started wearing the, the thobes and the scarves <laughs> and speaking Arabic. This is true. Unlike you guys. You guys just completely <laughs> sold out. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Tayyip, next question. Well, they, they, they gave them curry. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we put a, uh, a very long multi century plan in place to infiltrate uh, the, the motherland through curry. To be uh, fair, they invented. Particularly very spicy curry that none of us actually ate ourselves, but just gave it to the, 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 the white man for a, for a laugh. Well, the British plagued mm-hmm. us with Zionism. Yeah. They brought the Zionists to our country and enabled them to invade us and dis- dispossess us. Mm-hmm. Um, so Before we so go on to that, uh, Dr. <laughs> Knafa. So let's not get into a <laughs> Knafa competition or chocolate here. cake. <laughs> oh, nice one. Knafa or chocolate cake. What's that? What do you prefer, Knafa or chocolate cake? Of course, Knafa. Isn't so knafa just for the sake of our viewers, Knafa is uh, a moist, uh, sloppy, cheesy, uh, orange-dyed Sweet swimming in syrup. So uh, okay. you have passed that sounds, question sounds with, delicious. with flying colors. Mashallah, uh, doctor. Okay. Uh. Do you wrap your television remote with cling film? <laughs> no. Okay. This is uh, also a Palestinian thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> Next question. There is ijma in the world that hummus is a dip. Except mm. in the Palestinian culture, where it is eaten oh. with a spoon, in a dish in a dish called fatta. Yes. So this is for all of the Zionists who have uh, taken our cuisine. We eat hummus with a spoon. So you can take our lives, but you can't take our cuisine. Yeah. Can't take our hummus. Tayyib, uh, let's go on to the quick so fire no, no, questions. Well, I you think have to uh, ask, uh, you have to ask him what he does with hummus. Do you believe it's a dip or a a meal in of itself. Well, there are so many dishes uh, made out of hummus. So <laughs> Fatta is one of them. Yeah, yeah top the, the political quickfire, doctor, just before we get on okay, to the... Okay, quickfire. Uh, and we'd probably like some of your comments on these ones. But okay. uh, Brexit or Remain? Remain. Theresa or Boris? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> not sure if we can accept that as an answer, but no problem. Yeah. Hamas or Fatah? Oh. Hamas. Alhamdulillah, we've invited the right person to the studio. Yeah. <laughs> is this the same fata that ham- hummus is in, or <laughs> you said hummus is in fata? Or? We'll get on to that, uh, okay. doctor. Inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not fata. 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 Okay. Fata yeah. is hummus. Yeah. <laughs> and fata is not Hamas. Mm. See, when when I was a young man, I joined fata yeah. in the early days in my high school. Time uh, in Kuwait, uh, but I lasted with them only a couple of years. Um, at the time, Fatah uh, seemed to be the hope for the Palestinians. Unfortunately, 
it was soon uh, mm. plagued with uh, differences, divisions, mm. and even treason. And uh, luckily, I could see that uh, early on. Was that mm. because you became more religiously conscious uh, at a young age? No, I had already been uh, uh, a practicing young man, going to mosque regularly. But uh, in Kuwait, I was a student of uh, Sheikh Hassan Ayyub, rahimullah, a renowned Egyptian uh, scholar who came to Kuwait uh, in 1970. And Sheikh Hassan Ayyub, although he was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood and was imprisoned for many years because of that, he advised the Palestinians at the time to join Fatah instead of joining mm. uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, because he believed uh, in the struggle for the liberation of Palestine and thought that Fatah was the way forward. Um, and it's no secret that the founders of Fatah actually were originally members of the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm. Mm. Uh, but uh, later on, unfortunately, uh, Fatah uh, took um, a different uh, route. and that, 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 that is what landed us uh, in the misery uh, mm. that Oslo mm. brought us, mm -hmm. the, the so-called peace process. Was the mother organization, uh, Doctor of Fatah, also based in Kuwait, as I believe Hamas's mother organization was? Uh, actually, the founders of Fatah uh, met in Kuwait in 1957, just as the founders of Hamas, many of them were in Kuwait. So mm -hmm. Kuwait was a very special place. Mm -hmm. Kuwait, compared to other Arab countries, and especially to the Gulf countries, was more open, more tolerant, more liberal. Mm -hmm. There were uh, socialists, communists, Islamists of all types, um, people held meetings and um, exchanged ideas. So there was a very good intellectual uh, exchange. Uh, and that's what probably qualified Kuwait uh, to be the, um, uh, the location where Mahab. such important groups emerged. Mm. I heard up to half a million Palestinians were in Kuwait at that time. Until Saddam invaded Kuwait, mm. yes. Mm. So why, why, doctor, why did people select... Kuwait to go to uh, after the Israelis invaded uh, Palestine? Why not the UAE or Saudi Arabia? No, no, even before. Um, the uh, Palestinian journey to Kuwait started in the 50s mm -hmm. because as a result of the occupation of Palestine in 1948, the economic situation in Palestine was uh, rather uh, harsh and people were looking for jobs. Uh, there was very little support for uh, the Palestinians after the Nakba mm. of 1948. So young men like my father, who fought first against the Zionists in 1948, ended up not really finding a good uh, source of income. Mm. So they started looking for opportunities. Kuwait was one of the earliest uh, Gulf countries to really develop, uh, to discover oil and then uh, invest in that oil. Um, uh, travel to Kuwait was easy. Uh, visa, visa mm. uh, the entry visas were not that difficult. Uh, and as, a com as the community grew, uh, it became a, a, a comfortable place. Because if you went to Sarimiya, for instance, where I lived, or to Hawalli, where many Palestinians lived, or Nugra, mm -hmm. it's as if you were in a Palestinian town. Mm. Uh, I think probably this is the reason. Of course, the UAE, Qatar, and the others developed slightly later because by the time those countries acquired their so-called independence in the early 70s, Kuwait had already been uh, mm. quite developed. Mm -hmm. mm. So uh, would you say uh, that 
the Kuwaitis needed the Palestinian influx to develop and in what way did the Palestinians help them just uh, in through taking part in the industrial revolution or what about education what about setting up schools and institutions well not only Palestinians uh, Kuwait and the rest of the Gulf countries had very small populations their mm -hmm. populations were not yet developed or educated so they needed doctors teachers engineers they needed laborers they needed uh, technicians mm -hmm. So people came from all over the place, from the Indian continent, from uh, the Sham region, from Egypt. Mm. Uh, there were large, large communities from, from everywhere. Um, and people usually attract each other. So if, if mm. I go to a country and then I bring my cousins and yeah. my uh, relatives and my, and then my neighbors mm. and then communities start growing. And yeah. it was accommodating in that respect. So fast forwarding a few years, uh, Dr. Azam, we come to the year 1990. And uh, we see that the Palestinian population was almost obliterated in Kuwait. It went from half a million, 400,000 to maybe a tenth of mm. that size. Mm. What were the reasons for that? Why, why were they the focal point of the second uh, um, exodus, so to speak? Well, first of all, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, he really destroyed uh, the communities that uh, had been in existence in Kuwait. Uh, there was a lot of looting, destruction. It, it was a, 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 a really a very silly act, if not criminal, uh, the way that Kuwait was invaded. Mm -hmm. um, people lost their jobs. Uh, they didn't know what to do. So many left. However, a year later, when Kuwait was liberated and the regime was reinstated, unfortunately, many Kuwaitis associated the Palestinians with the invasion by Saddam Hussein mm. because there was a, a fringe group uh, of Palestinian Ba'athists who joined Saddam Hussein's um, forces uh, in the occupation and also because of Yasser Arafat's position because he supported Saddam Hussein publicly mm -hmm. and that created the um, uh, a problem for for the Palestinians. Seen as Eventually, a third column or hmm? seen as a fifth column within yes. the society. Yes, indeed, yeah. indeed. So, the although the majority of the Palestinians suffered mm -hmm. as a result of the invasion, and many of them supported the Kuwaitis who uh, uh, stayed behind, mm -hmm. eventually there was collective punishment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting, uh, Dr. Azam. You mentioned this. My grandmother. She used to always tell me about her experience with the Iraqis uh, at that time my family had actually come to the UK on a visit. And uh, then Saddam invaded during our visit, so uh, that shut all of the airports, mm. and uh, we all lived happily ever after in the UK. But my <laughs> grandparents were still there. And I asked her that. before she passed, say that again? You have Saddam to thank for having so many Hamoudas in the UK. Rahimahullah. Yeah. Well, I get <laughs> done for that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she used to say that during the invasion, the Iraqi soldiers would treat us better than they would treat the Iraqi soldiers one another and uh, we had we were treated preferentially by Saddam as Palestinians in Kuwait and many of the um, Kuwaiti forces and maybe even the citizens had deserted or abandoned their residences apart from the Palestinians who had remained so uh, can't you sympathize with the fact that the Kuwaitis felt that the Palestinians were complicit maybe in uh, accommodating the Iraqi soldiers well impression is is uh, is the thing I mean, mm. what sort of impression people form uh, 
that leads to the sort of treatment uh, they, they, they receive. I think the majority of the Palestinians had nothing to do whatsoever with Saddam's invasion, uh, but they were uh, associated with it. They were associated mm, yeah. with it. It, it, mm-hmm. seems, it seems wherever the Palestinians go, and I can say this because I'm Palestinian and I have that privilege, <laughs> uh, they seem to cause trouble, uh, Doctor. I mean, you know, uh, in Beirut, they, they were a massive component of the civil war, and they used the money that they had amassed from the pa- Palestinian population to just burn it in the, in the civil war in, in, in the 80s. So they were massacred there, uh, you know, maybe as an excuse for their contribution militarily. They were massacred in, in Jordan, uh, they're expelled from every, every second country they go to. Is it a problem with them? Do they have high ambitions to take over government and to take over? Or is it just because they have no state, no backer, no supporter, that they find themselves the victim to everybody's uh, own inferiority complexes? It's difficult to talk in general terms about mm. different uh, events. Each event had its own background, its own reasons. I mean, if you talk about what happened in Jordan in uh, what is the so-called Black September, there were similarities with what happened in Lebanon eventually because the main, the main pretext for going after the Palestinians was the existence of the armed factions. And those armed factions, uh, on the one hand, were causing headache for Israel and its supporters, and they needed to be removed from the region. But on the other hand, they themselves misbehaved. Um, take, for in- instance, the uh, hijackings that happened in 1970 and led to the war in Jordan. They were hijacking aeroplanes from around the world, bringing them to the desert, and then blowing them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they wanted the world to know about their, their cause. That, so that that was a very bad way of, <laughs> of mm-hmm. uh, uh, acquainting people with our, with, uh, with our cause. Now, in Lebanon, it's a bit more complex because Lebanon has always been and continues until today uh, to be a territory where all sorts of regional and international powers have hands. And look at it today. You have Hezbollah, which is an organ of Iran. You have... Uh, the, the, uh, some of the Sunni factions which are organs of Saudi Arabia mm. uh, the Syrians always had influence somehow although this varied with the, with the years then you have the French and their phalangists uh, the Christian Maronites or some of them, not all of them of course factions, we're talking about factions uh, and uh, that led to the civil war in Lebanon mm. the Palestinians were victims as well as excuses some of them also misbehaved, so mm-hmm. we cannot rule that out. Mm-hmm. But these are quite complex phenomena. But if we go to the root of all of this, the root of all of this is the fact that the Arab countries mm-hmm. allowed Zionism to establish uh, an entity in Palestine. And despite the rhetoric, all these governments were there guarding Israel all the time. Mm-hmm at the expense of Palestinian rights. They were paying lip service to the Palestinians. But look at the Palestinian refugees in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. They live in conditions that are unimaginable. Mm -hmm. I I, I, I visited uh, uh, townships in South Africa. Nothing compared to the refugee camps in Lebanon. Refugee camps in Lebanon, I visited a number of camps 
on uh, one uh, the, the, we had a tour uh, on one occasion i became sick for a whole week afterwards and how how can these palestinians withstand all of this all this time and the arab the arab people the arab world not the people sorry the, the arab governments continue to impose such conditions on the palestinians under the pretext that if we allow the palestinians to live more comfortably they will forget about their cause mm -hmm. And actually look at the Palestinians who migrate around the world. I mean, people like us who are here in the UK, people who are in Canada and Australia and America, around the world. The more, the freer we are, the more dignified we are, the more we are able to, to serve the cause. Mm. But if you step on people's heads and if you push them to the corner and if you spit on them and if you... Uh, humiliate them day and night in Lebanon the Palestinians have always been banned from at least 75 professions 75 jobs they couldn't and now even more with the current discussion about uh, the um, deal the so-called deal of the, of the century and the preparations for it mm. so if you leave the Palestinians in in such conditions what do you expect Not only the Palestinians, anybody. I mean, look at the Arab revolutions. Why did the Arab revolutions take place? Because these governments have been dehumanizing their citizens, treating them badly, enslaving them, imprisoning them, shutting them up, persecuting them, and then the, vol the volcano will explode. Yeah. Maybe it's an excuse worse than a sin, Dr. Azim. I mean, uh, I heard that the Lebanese don't want to embrace the Palestinians such that the demographics of Lebanon don't change in favor of the Sunnis. Would you, would you sympathize with that uh, view? Well, the demographic uh, factor is part of the, the yeah. argument, part of the discussion. But what was the Arab world a hundred years ago? I mean, they, they'd argue... We were one community and we all these uh, borders... Uh, that divide, uh, divide and rule. Yeah, the, 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 these were lines drawn in the, in the, in the sand. Mm -hmm. by uh, the British and the French mm -hmm. to keep us divided. Uh, all this notion that uh, Lebanon is a sovereign nation or Syria is a mm -hmm. sovereign nation or Jordan or even Egypt or uh, all these uh, mini-states in the Gulf region, that, that's really ridiculous. Such a situation has, uh, was created and has been maintained in order to serve the colonial powers that created this situation mm. And to maintain Israel in its position, and probably uh, bring some benefits to those who are doing the job on on uh, on behalf of the colonialists. Do you think they're there to stay, or is 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 the nation state itself in in a crisis, as some people say? The I call it the territorial state mm. because it's not really a nation state. Uh, yeah. If you want to to go to the, the same definition. nation <laughs> yeah because we are all yeah. uh, i mean look at the tamimis my my yeah. family They're, we are from north africa to to the gulf mm. everywhere you find us and this applies to other arab tribes yeah. this territorial state and the, the the strange thing is that this is a discussion i had in my phd thesis mm. which i com i completed in 1998 And then the Arab Spring came to prove me right. <laughs> the territorial state in, this, in its present form is one of the main causes of the decline of the, of the Ummah. And it has to go. It has mm -hmm. definitely to go. And that, that's why uh, the dictators 
fought back against the um, the Arab Spring, as as it is called, or the Arab mm-hmm. revolutions, because if you give the Arab peoples their freedom mm-hmm. in Egypt, in Tunisia, in Libya, in Yemen, in Syria, in Iraq, elsewhere in the region, probably one of the first things they would want to do is remove the borders, mm-hmm. is integrate, because our integration is good for our economy, is mm-hmm. good for our sovereignty, is good for our independence. We become a mighty power. I mean, mm. why why can the United States be uh, a huge power, although it consists of more than fifty states, mm-hmm. uh, while we, the Arabs, must must yeah. continue to be divided and partitioned in the way we are, and uh, each bunch of individuals consider themselves to be a nation mm-hmm. with a flag and a president and a, uh, yeah. I don't know what. So um, you think it's 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 um, realistically kind of uh, can be anticipated that within our lifetimes. This could happen that the the actual Arab states cease to exist as separate entities, or maybe within become part of some kind of federal uh, system. Within our lifetimes, I don't know because I don't mm. know where, until when we are going to live. <laughs> <laughs> Allahu alam. Yeah. But it's it's appro- we are approaching that point. Mm. We are definitely approaching. We saw the first round of great Arab revolutions in 2011, and now mm. we are seeing the sign of the second round. Mm. Uh, Algeria, Sudan, and now Egypt, probably this will extend elsewhere. Eventually, the revolutions will succeed. And eventually, the Arabs will be united. And this is the way that Palestine Mm. will be liberated. So long as these regimes exist, so long as the partition continues, Mm. Israel will continue to enjoy uh, security and stability. Just taking it back a step, uh, Dr. Azam, many people will argue that you knew that reality of the world when you left your homes. Why did you leave your homes? Why did you abandon your residences? And why didn't you put up a bigger fight against the Zionist uh, gangs who invaded? Well, nobody really left uh, out of choice. Uh, Now, let's make a distinction between those who were forced to leave in 1948. You're talking about the Palestinians, right? Yeah, who left Palestine now? 1948, the Zionists designed a series of massacres, uh, the most famous of which, or infamous of which, is Deir Yassin. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to frighten the rest of the population. Take my, my mother's case, for instance. Mm-hmm. My, grand, my maternal grandparents and their uh, children uh, were living in Biris Saba, Birsheba. They heard the news of the massacres happening around Jerusalem. They locked their house and went to their relatives in Hebron and Al-Khalil until mm-hmm. things subsided, until, because they were promised by the Arab countries at the mm-hmm. time, okay, you, you leave now, and we, will do, we will secure uh, the, the, the area and you can come back mm-hmm. afterwards. People took their keys with them because mm-hmm. they wanted to come back. They thought they were coming back within a week, within two weeks maximum. Mm. So these massacres and the force used to dispossess people uh, is an an understandable reason. So while they were away, the Zionists moved in and uh, took took the land. Exactly. And the Arab Arab governments, there was no real fight. Mm. Arab governments at the time, actually Arab armies at the time, were commanded by British and French soldiers Mm. or uh, officers. There were no real independence, even until today there is no real independence or sovereignty Mm -hmm. anywhere in the Arab world. So the Palestinians were let down. But then after that, as in the case of my father, 
He didn't leave as a result of the uh, occupation of his uh, hometown. He went to work in Hebron to improve, uh, sorry, in Kuwait, to improve the livelihood of his family in mm-hmm. Hebron, like thousands of Palestinians. But he was going, going to come back. Actually, when we were in Kuwait in 1967, the, uh, the war happened and the rest of Palestine was seized by the Israelis. Mm-hmm. But this time, the majority of the Palestinians did not leave. They learned a lesson. Mm. They did not leave. They didn't sell their homes. Some, some people will say that they sold them to the Zionists uh, we, uh, in exchange for blank checks and so on and so forth. I mean, it's just, it's a narrative which is difficult to disprove, especially with uh, most of the archives and so on not available to us. But uh, we know that at least some families were, were executed by the Jordan, Jordanian authorities and so on for selling their homes to the Zionists. To what extent was this? And... Uh, what would you say to those who, who keep making this point? It's a, it's a nonsense. It's nonsense. Most of the Palestinians were driven by force. They had their keys. They wanted to go back. And if there were a few cases of people uh, selling, that happens anywhere. Yeah. But the majority of the Palestinians were still uh, hoping to return. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a long... Uh, do, you, do you still have your... <laughs> that was a longer elaboration quick, than quick I anticipated. Is <laughs> there any more quick fire questions? Okay, so... Let's just take you back to a few more general questions, uh, Dr. Azam. Kalashnikov or M16? <laughs> I'm not an expert on, uh, in weapons. But it has mm-hmm. a cultural background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, moving on. I wrote next to it, uh, don't expect an answer. <laughs> <laughs> What's more effective in the realm of politi- political activism, speaking or writing? Well... It depends on people's uh, abilities. I mean, pe- there are people who speak well. Mm. They don't write well. Pe- there are people who write very well, but don't speak well. So both are uh, tools, and if you are talented mm. in one uh, field, then make use of your talent. Mm-hmm. Next question. I've got a few, uh, few quotes here. We did some research. We thought we'd test uh, Sheikh mm. Azam, uh, if you can uh, tell where the quotes are from. Um, so we'll start off with a very easy one. Uh, Eng- Eng- I'll do the English ones. The finger that testifies that there is no God, but Allah refuses to testify to other than Him. It's a bit different in Arabic, I, to be fair. I was in Arabic. I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, he said it uh, during his execution. Rahimahullah. Ah, Sayyid Qutb. Mashallah. Even I knew that one. <laughs> because we've reported it about 14 <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how's about an Arabic one? Inna baquna ma baqiya za'atar wa zaytun. Za'atar? Inna baquna ma baqiya za'atar wa zaytun. Za'atar. I think this is, this is Sheikh um, uh, Ra'id Salah. Ahsan. Yes. Mm. MashaAllah. Very good. MashaAllah. Mm. Perfect. Mm. Huh? Sheikh Ra'id Salah, uh, he's the head of the political mm. uh, Islamic, uh, the head of the Islamic movement inside the Green Line, inside yes. the, the 1948 territories. He, he's uh, the, 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 the person who uh, made the initiative to protect mm. Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa and to renovate it. And, uh, I mean, the, that's why the Israelis have, have been imprisoning mm. him and now he is under house arrest. Mm. So the translation of that quote is, we will remain so long as thyme and oil remain. Uh, 
and and yeah. olives. Olives, really. olives. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's your uh, message, bro. You, you Sorry. <laughs> Autocorrect. You wrote oil instead of olives. Okay. Uh, and he he referred to zatar and to zaitun because mm. these have been associated with Palestinian culture. Mm. Uh, Palestinian have zatar for in for breakfasts. Uh, also in some of their pastries. Zatar is thyme. Thyme, yes. And, um, mm-hmm. In a variety of ways, it's used in a variety of ways, used in cooking sometimes. And of course, uh, olive and olive oil is, mm. uh, is our main main oil. Yeah. Mm. Just you realized, did I, say, did I say thyme instead of thyme? <laughs> if I did, we need to fix that. Thyme, <laughs> I yeah. very apologize profusely. Time, uh, time is a is a short for time. very significant uh, Palestinianism, in that uh, we have it with everything almost, and we have it in, in breakfast. Yes. I was surprised when I went to Istanbul. Uh, as I went to the bazaar, the closed bazaar, whatever it's called. What's it called? The, the market that they have in Istanbul. They have every herb under the sun. Mm. I went to a person. He said to me, "We don't have Palestinian time in all of Turkey." He says, "This you will not find." Except in the Middle East, this dark green uh, leaf which they which they Why? crush. Well, it's not popular anywhere. It's, I mean, it's uh, dry, okay. it's salty, it's bitter. It's <laughs> Why would it be popular? Um, it's more uh, Bilad Sham sort of thing because it exists also in in mm. in Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Palestine, which was once one province anyway. Yeah. Um, the other thing that the Palestinians claim because it's so exclusive to them. Is that the the reason for their intelligence is because of zatar? <laughs> <laughs> well, people claim okay. all sorts of things. <laughs> okay, here's one. Uh, we must stop eating. We must stop eating and build our country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? We can still eat and build. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, just just to add, uh, Doctor, he also said uh, that I lived for several years only drinking water. Ah. Is that Sisi? Oh, of course. Yeah. Who else? Damn him. <laughs> that was Abdul Fattah. Uh, so, Paul, I have another quote from uh, Sisi, which uh, current, I wanted uh, to thro- throw in there. Current pharaoh, I mean, president of, uh, of Egypt. Tyrant of Egypt. Tyrant, yes. So, so he said, uh, obviously, if I want to do a good impression, I have to have my back to you. Uh, because usually he sits down with his back to everyone else. <laughs> yes. And he speaks to a wall in front of him. Really? Uh, anyway, besides yeah. that, he was with a group of academics and writers. And uh, rather than allowing them to speak, he said, it takes me a while to compose my words. He says, the reason for that is because it, my words go through several filters. Yes. He said, the filter of honesty, the filter of trustworthiness, the filter of truth, whether what I say is pleasing to Allah or not. Imagine all of my words are like this. He goes, I th- go through a lot of punishment to put my words together. <laughs> what a sympathetic, lovely president. <laughs> wow. I wish uh, Boris was like that. <laughs> okay, here's one. Beer was unfortunately presented as a national drink. However, our national drink drink is iron. It's a bit of an easy one. <laughs> uh, must be uh, <laughs> is it Erdogan? Yes, Erdogan. Yeah, very good. He got caught up on that by the BBC. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, it's wrong to say that you drink milk if it's at the expense of alcohol. What? Really? 
Yeah, they called him up. They said uh, they wrote an article about him disparaging that yeah. comment. I thought he was quite a good one. I like Iran. Okay, here's one. Uh, when I speak of the fear, intimidation, arrests, and public shaming of intellectuals and religious leaders who dare to speak their minds, and then I tell you that I'm from Saudi Arabia, you are surprised? No idea. This is, I had a friend of yours who tragically was uh, murdered. Oh, Jamal. Yes. Jamal Khashoggi. Tell us something about him, yeah. uh, Dr. Azam. What's your experience with him? Who? It's I mean, been he, he it's been a year now, right? Next year, next week. Next week is going to be a year. What's also what's interesting f for us is is the uh, transition he went through, which you can maybe compare it to uh, somebody like Malcolm X, where towards the end of his life he took a more uh, strong position. He took a stronger position against tyranny and uh, and corruption, and that was a short-lived part of his life. Would you agree with that? No, not really, not exactly. I've known Jamal Rahmatullah Ali since 1992, since we met for the first time in January 1992. And he was a young man, a young journalist, uh, observant, practicing Muslim. He felt for uh, the Muslim Ummah and actually our relationship soon developed because although we met uh, accidentally our meeting was immediately after the suspension of the democratic process in algeria i mean some people probably know this some don't it's already really now what 25 years so a quarter of a century but in december 1991 uh, algeria saw the first round of elections which was won by FIS, the Islamic Salvation Front. The second round of election was supposed to take place in January 1992. The army inter intervened, cancelled the election, and that mm. started the dark uh, decade that Algeria saw. So in that in Jan January, I was in London here visiting uh, in the company of a, of a friend uh, who was a Jordanian politician, he came here to be treated for cancer and he asked me to accompany him mm. and Jamal came to visit him because that politician was a well-known person and then Jamal said look at what's going on in Algeria this is very dangerous we must do something to enlighten the world's public opinion about the repercussions of allowing democracy to be crushed in Algeria mm -hmm. and everybody agreed in the room and then they said, okay, let's form a pressure group. Let's form something. And they asked me, are you willing to come back and stay here in the UK and run this group? And that's why the reason I, I, after I sent my friend uh, back to Jordan, I returned to London and stayed here. Mm. And since then, uh, we've been working together. Jamal always cared for the Ummah, whether it was Afghanistan, whether it was Palestine, Algeria, Egypt. Mm -hmm. But he, for many years, thought that the Saudi regime was not really the worst in the region and mm. that the Saudis supported many Islamic projects, sympathized with the Muslims here and there. So let's focus on the areas where there is a need for, uh, for change. Uh, the reason Jamal left eventually and became vocal uh, is Mohammed bin Salman. Mm. When Mohammed bin Salman came to power, he went after everybody 
that didn't see eye to eye with him. And when Jamal saw his own friends, uh, someone like Hassan uh, Zamil, who is a renowned economist and who made uh, huge contributions to Saudi Arabia, being imprisoned and tortured for no reason whatsoever, he, he decided uh, not to go back. Started writing for the Washington Post. And his writings to the Washington Post, if you go to, uh, to them, they were not really radical. <laughs> he was simply advising mm. that this is not the way forward. Saudi Arabia could end up uh, in a very bad shape if this policy continues. He defended the prisoners. Mm. But I think his articles uh, caused a lot of concern for Mohammed bin Zayed and his clique mm. because Mohammed bin Zayed, sorry, Mohammed bin Salman, mm -hmm. Mohammed bin Salman was at the time the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia was at the time spending millions of dollars in America and millions of pounds in the United Kingdom to improve his image. Mm. And then these articles are published in the Washington Post and then uh, published elsewhere that show a different face of what's, yeah. what was going on in Saudi Arabia. And probably that's why they killed him. Mm. Did they see him maybe as an inside man with more credibility in speaking about uh, the regime he used to sympathize with? Indeed, Jamal was never uh, a member of the opposition. He never wanted to be identified with the opposition mm -hmm. anywhere. He felt he was a part of that regime and he, was, he, he felt sorry for what was going on and he wanted things to be rectified, to mm -hmm. be corrected. That's all really. Do you think, um, I mean, after his uh, death, his killing, there was a lot of, you know, um, earthquakes, diplomatic earthquakes happening all over the show. Do you think some of that's died down? Or, I mean, I, I heard one of your interviews shortly after his killing, and you expressed kind of concern that you don't want this to be in vain, you want this to lead to some kind of change. How do you feel about that now? It won't go in vain. I think, I think Jamal's death, the way he died, the brutal death, they inflicted upon him will contribute to the process of change. We'll definitely do that. Mm -hmm. See, at the moment, Mohammed bin Salman, who is definitely the uh, person behind this murder, is provided with protection and immunity by Trump. Mm -hmm. Trump will not last for long as president. And you see his mm -hmm. troubles at the moment. Even if he is re-elected, eventually Trump will go. The whole world, from mm. where the sun rises to where the sun sets, know that Mohammed bin Salman ordered Jamal to be killed. Mm. The Saudis themselves admitted that the group that works for Mohammed bin Salman did the, committed the murder. Mm. That will never be gone. Regrettably, there is a lot of hypocrisy in this world. Uh, the United States of America and its Western allies, because they have uh, deals, arms deals, uh, other interests with Saudi Arabia, they participate in the cover-up. But civil society and the media mm. uh, will uh, never rest until something is done. And I'm really glad that the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN many uh, news uh, and media outlets in America and around the world yeah. 
adopted that case, took that case as if one of their own It was like sons a, was uh, yeah, a personal, yes. they took it personally because of maybe the, obviously the, the, the dislike of um, Saudi regime, but also that this is one of their own journalists, you know, the, the, you know all the journalists are killed tragically all over the place. Yeah, this was, um, I think that's the main reason. Yeah. The reason is that Jamal Khashoggi was a writer in the Washington Post. And Jamal Khashoggi was a very soft gentleman. Um, he never really threatened the Saudi regime with anything. He never joined an opposition. He mm. was simply writing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And for this, they brutalized him. They, they killed him and they chopped him and they probably dissolved his body mm. in acid. We don't know what mm. happened. There's another mm. theory that he was probably uh, burnt. Mm. Would you say that... Uh, openly speaking against a tyrant is better than uh, changing from within if you have the capability and staying quiet because some people have good intentions even in in the gulf uh, and they they are seeking to change w- from within and uh, they say that uh, our effect being part of the government and pretending on the outset to be supporters will be bigger than openly challenging the tyrant and being killed maybe or Present. Well, the rule here is لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa taala exempts us if we are incapable of doing certain things. But we can talk about what is best and what is possible. Mm-hmm. The hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, سيد الشهداء حمزة ورجل قام إلى سلطان جائر فأمره ونهاه فقتله. So the master of martyrs is Hamza and a man who stands up or a person. Because it can be a man or it can be a woman mm-hmm. who stands up to a tyrant, admonishes him, orders him to do the good, forbids him from doing the evil, and gets killed for it. Mm-hmm. So that's martyrdom. I mean, Jamal Khashoggi was that sort of martyr, mm-hmm. I hope, inshallah. Now, there are people who cannot do this. Okay, we understand. But we should never be vocal in favor of tyranny. So long as you don't support falsehood, It's up to you how you want to uh, denounce it or change yeah. it or condemn mm. it. But you don't support it. Unfortunately, today, there are people who, whom uh, uh, millions of Muslims identified with Islam as scholars mm. or as imams of the haram. But unfortunately, they side by tyranny. They justify tyranny. That in, my, that, in my opinion, is a kabira, is a, is a major sin. You cannot do this. You can I, just remain silent. Yeah, I can understand that yeah. you cannot do much and you remain silent. I can understand mm-hmm. that position. You fear for your mm-hmm. life, you fear for your children. That's understandable. But to come out and hail the tyrant mm-hmm. and uh, justify the crimes that the tyrant is committing, I think that in this way you become mm-hmm. part of the army of the pharaoh. Of Fir'aun mm-hmm. You become a soldier In the army of Fir'aun I mean some Some will say even Staying silent Is a crime uh, As Allah Condemned Banu Israel For staying silent In the face of, of tyranny When they had the ability To speak out against it They never used to Denounce The Munkar So uh, Like you said uh, Doctor I mean One thing staying silent But another thing Going out to To praise And to write poetry And to No, I think in the case of Bani Israel, it's meant silence that condones sin. Right. Mm. 
But if you are silent out of fear, but in your heart you don't accept what's going on, because mm-hmm. after all, uh, this is what Inkarul Munkar is. I mean, the uh, objection to to evil. Mm-hmm. So if you see an evil act, you try to change it with your hand, if you cannot, with your tongue, by speaking against it. If you cannot, then by your heart. And that's the minimum that Iman requires. Now, what does it mean to deny it by heart? It means that you hate it. And that you find it very difficult to coexist with it. And as Ibn Taymiyyah says in uh, his uh, elucidation of this hadith, that will prepare you for the next level, Mm. which is the level of speaking against it and then probably taking action against it. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like our brothers and sisters are doing in Egypt today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Six years of horror, six years of terror uh, by the Sisi regime. Now, they've had enough. Some of them have decided to take to the streets. They're arresting them. They're probably persecuting Mm -hmm. them like they're doing to the 60,000 prisoners who are already in uh, in detention. But they decided to do something about it because so long as you hate the Munkar, there will come a time when you will take this up to the uh, next level uh, of denouncing it. Are you optimistic about Egypt, Doctor? Oh, definitely. I never lose hope. But we, when we were given the year of hope with uh, President Mohammed Mursi, I mean, he's a half of the Quran. He's a rocket scientist. He's, he's everything <laughs> you can ask for. Today I was reading on the Washington Post. I mean, I know they, they're quoting uh, Egyptian sources which aren't exactly popular for their credibility. They say up to 30 million people protested against Mursi. So are they just protesting the Egyptians because of the fact they can't uh, live and, and they can't find food to eat? Now, irrespective of the numbers, now we know already that those numbers were not uh, correct at all. There were probably a few millions throughout Egypt. Mm. Definitely not 30 millions, not even a fraction of that. Mm. But that doesn't matter. What we know for sure is that Muhammad Mursi, rahimahullah, his brothers and sisters who died or who are in prison or who have been forced uh, abroad, paid the price needed to create awareness. Mm -hmm. Change cannot happen if a substantial proportion of the population are not aware Mm -hmm. of their rights, of their responsibilities, and what is expected of them. Unfortunately, we discovered that despite the revolutions across the Arab region, and especially in Egypt, that it was easy for oil money petrodollars coming from the UAE and Saudi Arabia to deceive many people and to make them believe some fantastic uh, lies about uh, Morsi, about the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, like, for instance, that the Muslim Brotherhood were responsible for the loss of Andalusia, imagine, (laughs) uh, 600 years ago, that uh, the Muslim Brotherhood sold the pyramids. That Some people believe this. Mm. Uh, and you see, if you look at history, irrespective of the religion of the nations, people who rise against tyranny will not achieve their goals from the first go. Look at the French Revolution, how, how many years it mm. took. Look mm. at Chile, the story of Allende and Pinochet. Uh, stories of rising against tyranny 
uh, we discovered as a result of our experience that we know very little about them. Even our understanding of Quranic examples. Some people were uh, immediately saying, had there not been something uh, drastically wrong with Mursi, this would not have happened to him. Mm. Had there not been something drastically wrong with the Muslim Brotherhood, this would not have happened to them. Mm. Then tell me, what was drastically wrong with the victims of the Ukhdud in Surah Al-Buruj, where Allah tells us the story of an entire community that was thrown into a ditch where fire was set to burn them alive because they believed in Allah. We cannot just simply come to conclusions uh, in, uh, on the basis of very superficial yeah. uh, information. We need to understand exactly what went on. And now after Morsi's death, more facts are coming out. And now we know that this man, Morsi, offered his life, sacrificed his life mm. in order for the Ummah to live. Imagine what would have happened had Morsi given up. Had Morsi owed legitimacy on Sisi and his coup, his military coup. What would have happened? Mm. He remained steadfast. He refused to give them legitimacy. His death is life to the, to, to, to the rest of the Ummah, inshallah. And that's why we are seeing this dynamic now again. This is notwithstanding the fact that we need to make change or... I can't use the word we because I can't reveal my allegiances, isn't it? <laughs> we, uh, I mean the uh, well, Muslim the Brotherhood we. or the democratically elected future need to look back at the era of Mursi rahimahullah to make changes. I mean, for instance, people were saying that he, he didn't take control of the Ministry of Information. He didn't take control of the Interior Ministry. Are there lessons to learn, basically? Yeah. yeah, people say all sorts of things. But if you want to learn the experience, you need to know the details. Most mm. of the people who have spoken about mm. this don't actually know the details. Mm -hmm. They don't have information. Okay. How do you know this if most of the people are still in prison? I am, of course, uh, in favor fully of, of going, reflecting, of learning the, the lessons, etc. But we need to have the facts. Mm. And not just because this happened and because Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates managed to abort our revolutions with their money and with their influence that we come to the conclusion that something there was something wrong with us mm -hmm. probably there wasn't anything wrong with us probably this is part of the sacrifice that needed to be made mm -hmm. in order to pave the way for the next round of revolutions the, the people uh, maybe um, hold it in higher regard and be more careful with it if they've sacrificed a lot to get to uh, maybe a democratic uh, government or something like that, rather than treat it as something easy come, easy go, something that comes after a period of long struggle, you tend to hold on to that and appreciate that more. True. And we also need to remember that these revolutions are against well-established regimes, mm. the so-called deep, deep state. Yeah. I mean, how can you run a country like Egypt with 90 million inhabitants when... You don't have control over the police. You don't have control over the mm. army. You don't have control over the intelligence services. You don't have control over the media. And everybody is working against you. That state needs to be shaken, needs to be somehow dismantled in order to be rebuilt uh, on uh, sound uh, foundations. Mm. Do you? So what's your vision then of the next uh, few decades in the Middle East, in Egypt, in these, in these uh, war zones like Syria, Yemen, 
you know, what, do you do you have an optimistic outlook or do you see some kind of uh, positive change coming? I'm optimistic and I see positive change coming and I think we are beginning to see the uh, weakening of the counter-revolution. Mm. Uh, the countries that led the counter-revolution, especially Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, they've embroiled themselves around the world in all sorts of problems, invading Yemen and destroying it, creating problems for the Libyan people in the Horn of Africa. Wherever, wherever there are troubles, you find them there. They've actually... Uh, overstretched themselves and now they're beginning to have fiscal problems mm. uh, to the extent uh, I, I was reading uh, a piece uh, by uh, David Hurst that was published yesterday in uh, Middle East Eye and he refers to a visit CC uh, made a year ago to Iraq and in his meeting uh, with the Iraqi officials, he started swearing at uh, Mohammed bin uh, Salman of Saudi Arabia because he stopped paying money uh, mm. to him <laughs> because they, they spent uh, billions of dollars on him. Stop giving him sadaqat. And that, that shows that the, the, these countries that uh, uh, pioneered or spearheaded the counter-revolution are themselves now having, mm. are, are mm. in deep trouble, in deep trouble mm. and uh, hopefully this will give a breathing space for the masses mm. to come back, renew the revolutions, start mm. again. Well, I mean, at Islam 21C, we all always trying to connect Muslims um, anywhere to the, the different kind of um, geopolitical happenings elsewhere. So you're an expert on Middle East uh, affairs. We try and get people talk about and, and connect us to what the different struggles and different causes happening all over the world but you're not just um, your your interest isn't just limited to the Middle East is it because even in the UK you're quite um, you know active on the in, 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 in the activist scene you know what can you describe some of your um, activities here in the UK in terms of uh, not just the, the, the channel but you know you said you were at the Labour Party conference for example uh, yesterday um, can you can you describe some of your your, your visions for the 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 the, the the Muslim activist mm. scene in the UK and how to make our mark? Well, there were there were days when I was uh, a lot more active. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is within the community when I was yeah. in MAB, the Muslim Association of Britain, mm -hmm. and when the Muslim Association of Britain was really a strong organization, and, and now mm -hmm. it's really much weaker. And we stood against Tony Blair, and uh, we participated in the one man million uh, and one million man uh, demonstration mm. against the war in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, I I, I used to be the spokesperson for the, for the Muslim Association of Britain, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, I afterwards I I went into academia for a while, mm -hmm. uh, and then I started the uh, the TV channel. Um, so my activism at the moment within the community is really minimal. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm invited to speak on Palestine or mm -hmm. speak on the Middle East or on Islamic issues, yeah. um, and I, I go. But uh, generally, um, I have been... Uh, I mean, you've been in the Muslim... active. You've been in the British Muslim kind of scene for a while. What kind of trends have you seen over the last two or three decades? 
Well, um, and, um, yeah. Are you positive in terms of the UK Muslim scene, or you're talking about one organisation which you think's become maybe weaker? But do you think that's a reflection of the whole Muslim community or, or a wide wider trend? Or well, the Muslim community, positive? the Muslim community in the UK is a very vibrant community, and mm-hmm. it's so diverse and it's uh, it has so many faces and shapes. Um, I don't, uh, I cannot claim to know uh, mm-hmm. a lot about what's going on, but what worked 20 years ago may not work today, and mm-hmm. the, the, the has, the people need to think of uh, new yeah. ways of, of of doing things. But I am a bit worried about the youth. I think mm. our youth is probably less political than it used than it used to be. I mean, I remember the days when we organized demonstrations, rallies in support of different yeah. causes, whether it is Palestine or Kashmir or even Bangladesh or Somalia or whatever mm. Egypt. Um, and I'm worried in particular about the students. Yeah. Uh, uh, a student umbrella-like forces, mm-hmm. which used to be really quite active in terms of the political concerns of the Muslims, is bec- has they, they've become increasingly apolitical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, students by nature are political. If yeah. you are a student and you are not political, then you are mm-hmm. you're really wasting your life. I think that's partly the result of the, the prevent strategy and its effect on the chilling Indeed. of chilling of. Free speech on We have, uh, uh, we have uh, a large student community in the Labour Party mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you can shed light on the Labour Party and its policies towards Palestine and its accommodation of maybe e- even some Zionist voices and uh, do you see a, a future, a positive future for Palestine through the Labour Party coming in, into power? No, the future for Palestine is in Palestine and the, and, and the mm. region, not here. Mm. But it would be good, of course, if we have a political party that uh, sympathizes with our uh, plight, uh, that uh, tells the real story of mm. what happened to us. But frankly, yesterday when I went to Brighton, uh, I, I really came, I, I came back uh, distressed. From the Labour Party conference? Uh, I didn't attend the Labour Party mm-hmm. conference because I went to, F, to, part, to, to, to uh, share a panel yeah. in a French meeting yeah. uh, about Palestine and Zionism and mm-hmm. things of this sort. But the organizers of the, of the fringe meeting, many of them are old uh, Labour Party members mm-hmm. who have been suspended from the party because of their support for Palestine. Mm-hmm. So there is a Zionist element in the political in the in the Labour Party today, despite the fact that uh, Jeremy Corbyn and some of the people mm-hmm. around him have have been known for uh, decades to be strong supporters of Palestinian rights, but mm-hmm. they're coming under enormous pressure because of this nonsense of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party, which is all really invented. It's not real mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And they're going after the supporters of Palestine under the pretext of fighting anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. And this is really a, a cause for concern. Mm. Isn't, there, isn't there a genuine problem, though, of, of uh, anti-Semitism and people with anti, kind of conflating um, Palestinian rights and uh, anti-Zionism with you know, um, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and that kind of stuff? You know where the anti-Semites exist? The anti-Semites exist in the, the groups and the and the and, and the groups and the parties that support Zionism. Mm. The most anti-Semitic people today in the world are the supporters of Zionism. For example, 
take the right wing in any in any anywhere in the world. Yeah. These right wingers, when they sit together, they say all sorts of things against the Jews. They hate the Jews. Mm. They claim in public that they uh, support uh, Israel because Israel is a compensation for what happened to the Jews in Europe. Mm. Actually, in reality, these right wingers are anti-Semites, are Islamophobes, are mm. racists. They hate everybody else that doesn't look exactly like them, that doesn't think mm. exactly like them. Nobody is investigating the Conservative Party. Conservative Party, uh, I bet you, has lots of uh, anti-Semites, at least as much anti-Semites as Islamophobes within yeah. it. But see, uh, anti-Semitism and Zionism do go hand in hand if you're uh, not Jewish because they they want to get rid of the Jews yes. and they'll say, okay, you will deport your, you know, help you get 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 out of this. Uh, this is what Christian so Zionism is about. Anti-Jewish, anti yeah. Christian Zionism is the most anti-Semitic trend in mm. the world. Christian Zionists who supported Jewish Zionism. Mm. At the turn of, uh, they of want the to last bring century. about the uh, Armageddon yes. and this kind of right-wing Christian. Uh, they believe that unless all Jews were sent back to their mm. uh, to the to the land promised to them, mm. their Messiah would not come. And then what comes? What happens if their Messiah comes? Of course, there will never be a Messiah. It's all nonsense. Mm. Uh, but what if? Let's assume a Messiah comes. What will happen? They believe that he will kill the Jews, <laughs> or force them to become Christians. Can there be anything more anti-Semitic than this? Just in the, in the last few minutes, uh, this leads us on to a topic I wanted to extrapolate more with you, Dr. Azam, but uh, we've only got maybe five minutes. Uh, in the charter that Hamas put together since its inception, mm -hmm. uh, it mentioned the word Yahud and Jews, but uh, then in, I think, 2017, uh, you completely turned it on its head and you removed reference to Jews and you kept it to Zionism. Why are you saying you? Is it because yeah, and, uh, uh, you I, had a, I, I have a feeling you that had a hand in this? No, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. So Actually, I, crit I criticized the old charter in my mm. book, in my book, Hamas, Unwritten Chapters. I have a whole mm. chapter about uh, the Hamas charter. I criticize it and I call for a new charter. Mm. Um, we don't have the time to go through why, why, why mm. what, what is wrong with it. But when our brothers in Hamas decided to come up with a new political document, they did actually improve on their discourse, uh, which uh, I had been critical of, but they did not go as far as I wanted. Uh, so what were the problems with the, the charter? In a nutshell. First of all, the, prob the, the, the charter considers the, the conflict in Palestine to be a religious conflict, which is not. Mm -hmm. This is a political conflict. It's a colonial project uh, that the, uh, would not have taken place had it not been for the changes in Europe uh, and in the region mm. that happened in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Doesn't the new charter accommodate for that? The fact you've mentioned, the fact Hamas have mentioned Zionism. Yes, it's a little bit better. It's yeah. a little bit uh -huh. better, but they haven't cancelled the old charter. They right. came up with a new mm. document that uh, has a better discourse, but that insists that the earlier charter is still mm. intact. How can mm. you? I mean, this is a contradiction in terms. Right. Not only that, there's a contradiction within this new document because they say we can never recognize the state of Israel, 
but we accept a state within 1967 borders. And that's a contradiction in terms. What, because what does that mean, recognition? Because Maybe if you're just recognizing the reality rather than the legality of, of the state. Yeah, of course, that, that, that's a valid point because Israel exists as a reality, but you don't recognize its legitimacy because Israel was built in my mother's house in, in, on my father's mm. land. How can I uh, accept uh, that sort of, mm. uh, accept it as a legitimate entity? So the, the, the document that uh, emerged in 2000, and was it 17, I think, or 16, I forgot the, the exact date, I think 2017, did not go as far as I would have loved to see uh, Hamas uh, say. Hamas and any Palestinian movement has to have a clear discourse, a clear understanding of what the struggle is about. I know they understand what the struggle is about, but they haven't expressed it correctly. The, the mm. emphasis on Islam may be what brings about their support. Because no, no, no. I'm not against emphasizing Islam. I'm a Muslim, of course. I'm proud of Islam. Palestine uh, is, a, is a Muslim land. That's not the issue. But you, you will isolate the but problem the issue, to Palestine if you say it's a political issue. Yes. You see, when you say it's a religious conflict, you give the impression that, and this is the old charter, not the new document. In the old charter, you give the impression that we are having a fight in Palestine because of a conflict between Islam and Judaism. This is not true. Mm. Until the advent of Zionism, Jews lived in the Muslim world. We had no problem with them for 14 centuries. Mm. And when they were persecuted elsewhere, they came to our countries and we provided them with safe havens. I actually read a, a really interesting um, uh, chronicle of a, a monk, a Christian monk from, I think, the, the 7th century, really early on the time of uh, Banu Umayyah. He was writing Mesopotamia somewhere. I'll put the link maybe in the description. Uh, it's in uh, the book um, Seeing Islam, How Others Saw It. Very old, uh, very kind of old book. And he wrote, you know, these Muslims, they're okay. He's a Christian monk. These Muslims, they're all right. You know, you pay your taxes. They, they, they leave you alone. But I have one criticism of the Muslims. And that is they don't uh, persecute the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was his. <laughs> See, the Jews, criticism. the Christians, and the followers of other religions are called dhimmis, that mm. they are, that we give them the covenant of Allah. We uh, make a covenant with Allah, we enter into a covenant with Allah to protect them, not to harm them. Rasulullah himself said, Whoever abuses a dhimmi, it is as if he is abusing me. Mm. So, this is a, this not a question of love or hate. It's a question of a religi religious duty. Mm -hmm. Our religious duty is to protect them and respect them and uh, secure uh, their rights. Our problem in Palestine is not with the Jews. It's with Zionism, which is a racist ideology, which is a colonial uh, tool uh, used in order to... Uh, serve the interests of mm. colonial powers. Mm. So would you say that the limit of recognition is the recognition of coexistence with the Jews uh, as a religious people? Uh, and, and surely if you want to make progress on the cause, you need to recognize the state as an entity to some degree. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to uh, speak to it and, and make compromises and make agreements. I mean, I mean Hamas are speaking about the 10-year truce with Israel, with the Israeli state, with the Zionist state. So then there needs to be a level of interaction, a level of direct 
uh, interaction with them or recognition, or recognition or even if it's for 10 years it's still recognition of some period. yeah this is a political issue it's not really a religious issue there is nothing mm-hmm. in islam that prevents you from talking to your enemy from negotiating with your enemy but the issue is what do you talk about and what do you and uh, and what do you negotiate over now suppose take the south african example mm-hmm. suppose the zionists in palestine come to the same conclusion as the apartheid regime in south africa the apartheid regime in south africa came to the conclusion that it was not possible to continue the way they did they decided that all people who live in south africa are equal citizens whether they are black or white one man one vote and let's live in peace and let's coexist if the zionists come to this conclusion which means the dismantlement of the zionist ideology we have no problem that will be the beginning of a peaceful settlement mm. of the problem but we cannot make peace with people who claim that god gave them the divine right to take my mother's house and my father's land and to establish themselves there while i'm not allowed to go back So I mean, what if somebody argues um, that's what the Palestinians uh, or the Arabs in Israel should do at the moment in terms of, um, because uh, I heard some of them, like it's normal for them to boycott elections and not in get involved in Israeli politics. Do you think they should work within the system, at least within Israel, as the entity you know that is known as today and kind of work through the political system make political parties campaign and and the make the third largest make, party now make a lot in make, the last uh, elections now you see you're talking about the palestinians who happen mm. to be israeli citizens yeah because the majority of the palestinians are not mm. the palestinians of gaza who are 2 million the palestinians of the west bank who are about 3 million mm-hmm. are not israeli citizens and don't have any rights they are a population under occupation mm-hmm. now the uh, one and a half or two million palestinians who are israeli citizens have some rights what actually what we've seen over the, over the years is that the uh, right wing which now is becoming mm-hmm. the majority uh, political trend uh, in israel uh, is seeking to strip those palestinians of whatever rights they have Now the Palestinians in 1948 areas are divided. There are those who mm-hmm. believe it is feasible to participate in the system and they formed something called the joint list. They came together, the various parties and they participated in the recent elections. Mm-hmm. And there are those who believe that it is futile, it uh, won't help, it will do no good, so they stay away. Uh, but the entire population are, are are treated as second class citizens. So what if they all, I mean, is there a project for them to unite and then try and work within the system at least? They're trying, they're trying. Of course, I cannot speak uh, mm. on their behalf. I, I'm, I'm only an observer. Mm. But I think the, every one of them is struggling in his own way, even those mm. who uh, uh, join the elections and become members of the Knesset. Mm. So, mm. so in a way, uh, they're working within the system is just to bring the system down? No, no, no. They are a community. That that's not their motto. That's not what they say. They participate in the system in order to preserve whatever rights they have and probably improve those yeah. rights. They cannot. I mean, this system cannot be undone by a minority uh, population mm. that is uh, being persecuted, that is under uh, duress. This uh, racist regime. Mm. 
uh, of Zionist Israel will have to be dismantled by a much bigger change in the region. So do you think um, you side more along the 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 the, the spectrum of ballot versus bullet? There are no bullets. Mm. Uh, the Palestinians we are talking about in mm. 1948, they don't use bullets. They, 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 mm-hmm. they don't use violence. It's just that, that some of them believe that the majority Zionist Jews mm. will not ever treat them as equal citizens. So they say it's futile. And actually time has proven mm. them to be right somehow. Yeah. Okay. I've got one uh, last uh, quote. See if you can guess who it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're not prepared to die for your country, then you are not a patriot. Somebody you know very well. <laughs> it can be anybody. This is uh, yeah. probably a very famous... Uh <laughs> now, we, we think you have a ghostwriter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is actually Dr. Azam Tamimi. <laughs> <laughs> is this from Hard Talk? Yeah. From Hard Talk, yes. This got you in trouble a yeah. bit, didn't it? With the, the right-wing... Uh, Yes, yes, racist newspapers trying to paint you as uh, some kind of uh, rabble rouser, trying to um, spur on kind of violence and uh, terrorism and stuff. Yeah, they try. Of course, yeah. they they want to silence anybody who speaks the truth. But mm. I'm not intimidated, and I I call on people who support justice never to be mm. intimidated by the Zionists and their supporters. I have a f- one final question, if you will. Um, Looking back at your last few decades of um, work, of, of writing, of, of uh, academia, of activism, what advice would you give your younger self, you know, in order to maybe preempt or, or avoid some mistakes that perhaps you made? <laughs> oh, that uh, cannot be answered in not a, going hard talk. In our <laughs> minute. No. Well, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, every, every single thing I have uh, been through Mm-hmm. have been a learning experience um, I just started uh, writing my autobiography I'll mm-hmm. probably be able to reflect on some of the things I said or I did mm-hmm. and, uh, um, I don't know but uh, th- that really requires uh, yeah. deep thinking okay as most of the questions I ask you know do no, don't, no. I mean if I don't, don't have to say it to myself yeah but uh, I look forward to uh, reading your autobiography, inshallah. inshallah. And Zakna uh, Khairan for coming. Zakna Khairan for you as well, um, yeah. Uh, Ahmed. Um, yeah, I hope you joined the uh, enjoyed the conversation today. I'm very tired, as you can probably tell. I can't even get a sentence out. But uh, yeah, if you if you uh, like the podcast, please uh, like, give it a like and a share. Uh, let us know in the comments uh, your opinion about some of the things discussed here. Uh, also another reminder uh, We're on all the podcast apps now and Alhamdulillah uh, So yeah, subscribe what, to uh, Islam 20 Unscripted Podcast Wherever you get your podcast uh, I've been one of your hosts Salman Bhatt This has been Ahmed Hamouda And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon in the next one inshallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi If you're ever in East London around Brick Lane Make sure you drop by Quaker Street Coffee and Bubble Tea For some wonderful tea and coffee Quote the Islam 21C Unscripted podcast and you'll get 10% off.